0: morning, greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be gathered together in the Lord's house again this morning. So this morning we've met for our fall council meeting, time of personal examination. Have you ever pondered why we do this? Now we have scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, that tells us that we're supposed to, before communion, examine ourselves. But why do we? why is that necessary? It's necessary because we have a tendency to drift away from where we should be. We have a tendency to allow things to creep into our life and into our experience that we shouldn't allow. Things that might affect our relationship with the Lord and things that might affect our relationship with other people. And we want to consider where we are at before we come to the communion service. And so it's good for us to twice a year to come and consider where we're at. To be sure there's nothing hindering our relationships with the Lord or with our brothers and sisters, our fellow mankind. And the questions that we ask as we examine ourselves are do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with your fellow Christians? Do you have peace with your fellow man as far as is possible on your part? Do you desire communion? And are you willing to support the rules and discipline of the Southeastern Mennonite Conference? So you can see those questions cover that relationship with God, our relationship with our fellow man, and our relationship with our church body, our, our church fellowship. This morning I felt led to bring a message that I believe touches on these things. And our relationship, it determines really where we're at in life. I invite you to turn to John chapter 3. John 3, I'd like to read the first 21 verses of this chapter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth, where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So it is without, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we, we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh into the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So here we have the account of Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law teacher in Israel, coming to Jesus at night. And I believe he was coming to seeking to learn more about Jesus and who he was and what he was trying to accomplish here on earth. And I found it interesting looking at this is that Nicodemus recognized that there was something different about Jesus. He recognized that he wasn't just an average person that came along and was trying to teach God's word. But he recognized that there, because of what Jesus was doing, that there was a power that was working in, in and through Jesus. He recognized that he had come from God, that that power at work was God's power. And so I believe that Nicodemus was trying to get Jesus to talk about himself and who he was and, and what his mission was. Nicodemus needed some, some explanations of what was going on. But rather than addressing those things, Jesus turned the conversation away from himself and turned it to Nicodemus and to Nicodemus' greatest need and what the great need is of all mankind. He said there in verse 3, except a man be born again, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus was introducing Nicodemus and us as well to the concept that to know God and to enter into his kingdom, we must experience the new birth. A radical change. Nicodemus was, from what we see here, was understandably somewhat confused by Jesus' statement. This was something new to him. Nicodemus's thinking was constrained by the fact that in his mind, there's, there's only one birth. We're born one time as a little baby into this life. And so he said, how can this be? You know, can, can a man be born a second time? You know, physically speaking, Nicodemus was correct. We're all born once, naturally, as a baby. But Jesus was trying to teach an important doctrine one that we all need to understand and we all must accept if we want to be right with God. And to be a part of his kingdom. And in verse 6, I see Jesus stating it, or, or clarifying the difference. That that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you say, Nicodemus, what you're thinking of is earthly. Is earthly. It's of the flesh. It's of the physical. What I'm speaking of is, is not of the natural. It's of the spiritual. We experience the physical birth that brings us into this material, physical world. But Jesus was speaking of a birth that brings us into another realm. And you know, without the natural birth, we will never experience physical life. And in the same way, I believe Jesus was saying that without the spiritual new birth, we're never going to partake of the spiritual life in the heavenly realm in God's kingdom. In this this life, we're going to miss out. And in the life to come, we're going to miss out. So this this new birth, how does it come about? And we see what Jesus says in verses six and verses eight that this new birth is a work of the Spirit. Again, not physical, but a spiritual transformation. Already commented there on verse six: that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then in verse 8, he speaks of you know, the wind blowing, and you don't know where it originated from or where it is going. And that's how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's, it's something that it's hard for us maybe to define, but it's a reality. Then in verse 14, Jesus references the brass serpent that Moses lifted up on a pole, there was a time when God, as punishment, sent poisonous snakes into the camp of the people, and those that were bit by them suffered and died. And he told Moses, he said, make a brass serpent or snake and put it up on a pole, and if people are bitten and they look to that, they will be healed. And Jesus said in the same way, I am going to be lifted up, that people that look to me can have spiritual healing. We understand that Jesus was referencing his sacrifice on the cross. So we have this new birth that's hard for us to maybe really totally grasp and understand. We have Jesus saying that I am the way to that new birth by you looking to me as I am lifted up as a sacrifice for your sins. But as we look to Jesus, how does this happen? We see in verses 15, verses 16, and verse 18, how that happens. Jesus said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He's speaking of himself. That God sent his son that whoever so, whosoever believeth should not perish but have eternal life. And then John 3.16, therefore God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then again in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So it's a matter of Belief. We have to see what Christ has provided and we must believe. We must believe that Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf is our entrance into that new birth. It's it's where we can be cleansed from our sin. But unfortunately, there's many people that that teach an easy believism gospel. That all you need to do is believe. All you need to do is say the sinner's prayer, say, you know, confess that I'm a sinner and that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're, you're saved. You're born again. And there's truth in that. But the problem with that is that it doesn't do anything to change or they, they teach a new birth that that somehow it, it it doesn't do anything really to change but change our status in God's eyes. We're still the same person we were, but somehow God looks on us differently than he did before. But I want us to see and understand that. Jesus was talking about a change that was a whole lot greater than simply how God views you and me. God was talking, Jesus was talking about a change that affects how God views you and me, but it affects our life. It affects every aspect of our life. I'd like to reread the last three verses that we read and point out a few things here, verse starting at verse 19. and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that cometh, excuse me, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. There's a contrast in these verses between the people who are living in darkness, living unrepentant, unregenerate lives, and those who have experienced this new birth. And the difference we see is in what they do. In their deeds. You see, it's a change that will make a difference in how we live. It says that those that are a part of the kingdom of the world, those who do evil, are going to shrink back from the light of the gospel of Christ. And it's because of their deeds. It's because of what is in their life. On the other hand, those who have looked to Jesus, in faith, believing, and have experienced the new birth, they're going to be characterized by deeds that are, there in verse 19 it says that they are wrought in God. Things that are done through the power of God working in the life of the one who believes. One translation puts that last phrase of verse 21 like this that his actions may be shown to have been done in dependence upon God. So I believe that the new birth completely changes how we live. It changes what motivates us. It changes how we view things. How we relate to others. And I believe that we can see that the new birth isn't something that is simply brought about by a statement that says, I believe in Jesus, but it's brought about by a belief that transforms. It's a belief that gets a hold of us. It's a belief that changes our life from practicing the deeds of darkness to living by the power of God and and doing deeds by the power of God that's available, that's flowing through our life. The new birth doesn't just change our status in God's eyes. It changes everything about us. As I said, it changes how we look at things. We start to see things from God's perspective. We start to see sin and evil in a totally different light. Instead of appealing, we see it as something we we want to stay away from. It changes how we relate to people. We relate with God's love. We have a deep concern for people. It changes how we view ourselves. Because we realize that I'm not in the center of the universe anymore. I've surrendered to God. God is on the throne. Self is no longer on the throne. And you know, those, those basic changes touch all areas of our lives. The new birth has been compared to the process of metamorphosis. And I imagine most of us here have probably watched that transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. And when I think of that, I think of as a child, and we've done it with our children, of finding a swallowtail butterfly caterpillar on a plant and bringing that in and putting it in a, in a container and for maybe a week every day going out and, and getting some foliage that that caterpillar likes and putting it in there and watching it eat it. And then one day you come and you look and that caterpillar has transformed into this little brownish, lifeless, appearing little thing called a chrysalis. And you wait and you wait. And I looked this up the other day. I think it's about two weeks later. That chrysalis starts to change. You see it's getting darker, and all of a sudden it splits open, and what comes out is the caterpillar. It's an entirely different creature. It bears no resemblance to that caterpillar that formed that chrysalis. There's been a complete transformation. You can't look at that butterfly and see any part of a caterpillar there's, there's no resemblance. That is what the new birth should do for you and for me. There should be a radical transformation in our lives that is evident for everyone to see I'm going to read a bunch of verses from here out in the message. And I have them all in my notes. It's to, it would take a long time to turn to them all, so bear with me. Don't, don't, probably don't even try to turn to them. But I want to read some verses and point out what the Scripture says about the change that the new birth should bring to you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that sound a little like that caterpillar to butterfly transformation? A new creature. All things have become new. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you see there? Something's getting ready to die. A living sacrifice. You're giving up of self. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God see there's a transformation that takes place because we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ a belief that accepts and and makes a part uh, accepts his teaching and his word and it makes it a part of our lives and it makes it alive and so it shows forth. Romans 8.11 But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So if the Spirit... And remember, Jesus talked there in John 3 about the new birth and about the spirit being a spiritual birth. If the Spirit dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, and that's make alive, that means that we were dead, dead in our sins, will quicken us, make us alive, make alive your mortal bodies, and you know what that word mortal means? The Greek, the literal Greek translation is for that is liable to die. So our natural bodies are liable to die. But the Spirit will make them alive as we surrender to the Lord. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ. Get it? Right there again is death. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ Excuse me, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we have a belief, uh, a faith, that we live by faith as we look to Christ. And we're made alive through him. John 12, 24. This is Jesus speaking of himself prior to his crucifixion. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Again, the concept of of death to self and life through Christ. We understand that concept well. We plant seeds in the ground expecting a plant and expecting growth and expecting a harvest. So the new birth is giving up of our own selfish nature and desires and believing in Jesus Christ so that we can become alive and we can bear fruit for him. I don't know, as Jesus talked about the new birth with Nicodemus, what all went through his mind, other than that initial struggle he obviously had with the concept. But I ask, what goes through our minds when we talk about being born again? Do we have a proper concept of the new birth? And I hope that we do. I'm I'm not here trying to say we don't. But I look back at my own life and my own experience. And I I would have to admit that in my Christian life, early in my Christian life, I did not have a proper understanding of the new birth. Of what it meant to really give up self. Do I have a proper understanding today? By God's grace, I feel like I have a better understanding Maybe it will continue to become more clear and vibrant as, as life goes on. But in these verses that we've looked at and many others, it's clear that the new birth is about putting off the life that we previously lived and putting on a life that is patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ and the instructions of his word. It's like putting on an entirely new life like that lowly caterpillar being transformed into the beautiful butterfly. We're to put off that old nature and to put on a nature that's formed after the image and likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will change everything about our life. And I, I say all this because, you know, in, in looking at my own life, and my own experience, I think that we sometimes struggle to grasp that concept of the radical change. And sometimes we try to hang on to some vestiges of that old life. Some things of self. Some desires of the flesh. Some attitudes maybe towards other people. And not be fully surrendered to the Lord. And I I see that struggle in my own life. I see it as I look over my life and look back especially. And I also want to recognize that the Christian life is a growing experience. We don't we don't start out on day one where we end up at the end of our lives. We don't attain to the full measure of what God wants in the first day of our walk with the Lord. But you know that growth is only possible through the new birth, through full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By following his teaching, by following his word. And this morning I want us to consider as we look at the council meeting questions that through the new birth, through the surrender of the Lord to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and by following his word and his teachings we are then able to answer these council meeting questions in in a positive way. And I just want to look at some verses that tell us that, some teachings that if we're born again, we need to be applying in our lives that tell us that we should be able to answer these questions in the affirmative. It's through the new birth that we can be right with God and have peace with him. Because we die to Satan's kingdom. We die to our own selfish will and desires. And we're, we're, we become a part of God's kingdom, a part of his family. Romans 5, verses 5 through 9 say this. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. See, it's, it's, we're enemies of God when we have the carnal fleshly nature living within us. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are the, in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Did you catch that? If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. So it's it's surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the new birth into a spiritual realm that enables us to say that we have peace with God. It's also through the change brought with the new birth that we can have peace with our fellow Christians, those that are our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let, let each esteem other better than themselves. If we're applying that in our lives, there's going to be good relationships. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we're applying that in our lives, we're going to be, we're going to be building some really good relationships if we're laying down our lives for the brotherhood. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. Herein is love, not that we loved God, loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if, if God loved us that much, to send his son to be the atoning sacrifice for my sins. The last phrase, catch it. We ought also to love one another. Again, we, if we're putting that into real life practice, as, as children of God, we're going to have good relationships within the brotherhood. It's also through the, ch- through the change brought by the new birth, living for the Lord, that we can be at peace with our fellow men as far as is possible on our part. Matthew five thirty nine. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn unto him the other also. 1 Thessalonians five fifteen. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. 1 Peter 3.9, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrary wise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. If you do those things, you're going to have as peaceful of a relationship with the, with the world around you as you can hope for. Not fighting back not offering railing for railing, but rather it says that a blessing. Bless when we're done wrong. And I can promise you that does not happen apart from the power of God working within our lives. It's also through the change brought with the new birth, that we can desire communion. Did you ever think about what it means to desire communion? I've struggled with that one over the years. Read that question, you know, do you desire communion? Well, yeah, I guess kind of, you know. What does it mean to desire communion? It means that we desire or are eager to be identified with Christ and with his suffering and death. That is what the communion service is about. The communion service is, is a, a remembrance of what Christ did for us. And it is an identification as we partake of that communion emblems. We are identifying with Christ and with his sacrificial death on our behalf. And so... It, to desire communion means that I am, I am willing and eager to be identified with my Lord in his death. Romans 6, 3-5. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so even we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted... Together in the likeness of his death, we shall, also in the like, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. See, there's a, an identification there with, with Jesus. He talks about being baptized with Jesus into his death. Buried with him by baptism into death. Planted together in the likeness of his death. It's a, it's a desire to be identified with him and his sufferings. Philippians 3.10, Paul speaking here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Is that our desire, that's what we're saying when we say we desire communion, we're desiring to be identified with our suffering Lord and, and, the, and, the, and the cross. It's also through the change that the new life brings, the new birth brings, that we're able to joyfully support the church that we're a part of. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. It takes self out of the picture and gives us a heart of submission. Also, Hebrews 13.17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give, it, give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. It's the change that Christ brings that enables us to joyfully submit to the church fellowship that we're a part of. So, my challenge this morning is for us to fully embrace the changes that the new birth brings into the life of the believer and to continue to experience these changes in our lives, that we would strive to completely rid ourselves. Of the vestiges of all the old life. All those little caterpillar parts. Let's get rid of them. And embrace the new life in Christ. To be the butterfly. You ever think about what it would be like if you'd see a butterfly flying along and you'd take a look at it and it still had caterpillar parts? part of it was butterfly and part of it was caterpillar there'd be something wrong and if that's evident in our lives today there's something wrong but let's 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 strive to continue to grow like i said we don't attain completely on day 1 it's a growth it's it's a growing experience but let's embrace That change. Let's embrace the the blessing that that change is as we relate to each other and to our fellow man and to, to the church and to God. And as we embrace that change, we'll be able to answer these council meeting questions in the affirmative. And also, if anyone here has not experienced that new birth, I challenge you to believe and to experience those changes for yourself. And also, for those of us who have believed, if we're the butterfly flying around with some caterpillar parts still hanging on, we are not doing anything to encourage those who have never made a commitment. It's when we fully surrender and we are committed to being the butterfly that Christ is glorified and that we will attract others to our life. We'll make Christ appealing to those looking on. The new birth is difficult to accept. We hear about God, this gift of salvation is free, and it is, but it costs us dearly because it means death to self. But like the butterfly from the caterpillar, that new life is a beautiful thing. It brings God honor and glory, and it's a blessing to us as individuals, and it's a blessing to other people. So let's go forward and exemplify the beauty of that new life to those around us and to those who have not, have not experienced it yet. May God bless you.